chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. Someone wants to find it. The Pharisees and some... Where am I? Yeah, okay. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with his hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews who do not eat unless... The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God... the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, It is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples asked him about his parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Thanks, Heath.
Can I go close to that one? All right, I just want to move, do a bit of stage redecoration here. We're going to try again. Here we go. Thank you, Jai, for that reading. And thank you... Microphone on the floor. I hope it's not him, because we need him right here in a sec. <laughs> All right, we'll go for th with that. Um, yes, good morning, everyone. Let's start there. Can I invite uh, Georgia and Anika to the front with me? Because they are part of what we're going to do this morning. And as they come up, um, children, teenagers, please look at me as they... These two ladies just take their seat. I just want to say this morning is hugely important for us. You have a very important part to play in this church. Your words matter. This isn't today about you being cute. It's not about us looking at you and going, oh, they're so lovely, even though you are, most of you are. Uh, it's really important that we hear from you. You have something to offer. You have something to bring. You have a responsibility and your words are powerful. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for helping out. Thank you too for helping out today, again, as you did last time. Um, I look forward to what you have to share. Um, I don't know what you're going to share, um, and I look forward to that. <laughs> That's how we, how we want it. All right, let's make a start. During the week, I read an article from the University of Leeds in the UK. It's a study from some years ago that revealed a third of people in England and whales are being given the wrong diagnosis after a heart attack. Women were more likely to be affected, 50% more likely than men, to be misdiagnosed. Out of 600,000 people who were surveyed and part of the study, uh, 198,000 were initially misdiagnosed. They reckon that it resulted in something like about 250 deaths per year in England and Wales alone. Why share that with you? Getting a diagnosis correct is very important. Understanding what's wrong when it comes to heart issues is critical. Most of the women were treated for anxiety in these studies. The symptoms in women of severe anxiety are very similar, apparently, to those of heart attacks, shortness of breath, um, extreme fatigue and, and tiredness and such. Um, and therefore, doctors quite often just treated anxiety when the diagnosis or the real problem was there was a heart problem. Heart failure was uh, imminent in a lot of these cases. What does all of that have to do with the Pharisees and the words that Jai just read to us? Well, let me show you. We read this morning that Jesus is teaching and then uh, he's in a place called Bethsaida and some Pharisees come from Jerusalem. Context, you know, Jesus has been doing a lot of stuff and eventually... Uh, the head honchos, the religious head honchos, they're called Pharisees, they come down to Jesus and they kind of want to, they're out to get him. They want to 
They want to nail him. They really want to get him on something, some technicality, and that's why they're there. And they come to him, they observe that his disciples, Jesus' disciples, do not give their hands what's called a ceremonial washing before they eat. Now, what is this washing that they're talking about? Zaria and Jaden, can you come on up, please? They're going to illustrate to us what it is. Hello, my name is Fedwa and I'm reporting to you live from Bethsaida. With me here is a Pharisee named Gershom. Gershom, I believe that one of the commands God gave you was not to work on the Sabbath day. It's supposed to be a day of rest. Is that correct? That is correct. And we take it so seriously that we have put in a stack of extra rules to help us keep these commandments. These extra rules are like a fence around God's commandments to make sure we don't break them. The fence help us not to come near it. This way we do not break the commandments. I see. So what are some of the traditions or fences that help you keep the Sabbath? Well, let me think. You're not allowed to look in the mirror because you might see grey hair and be tempted to pull it out which is work, obviously. All mirrors are covered up on the Sabbath day. You can, you can also not wear your false teeth because they, may, they might happen to fall out. Then you have to pick them up, which is also work. Not happening, guys. My goodness, Gershom. I've also heard that God has commanded you priests to perform some ritual washings to signify spiritual purity before they approach God. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. But you know, we do not think it's enough for only one of the priests to do that. We insist that all of the Jews must do the washings before they eat anything. Now, no matter how big or small, they must rinse their hands before, uh, with their hands with water down to their palms, of, and then turn their hands the other way so that the contaminated water can run off the tips of their fingers. Oh, and if they go to the shops, they must wash before they can enter back into the house. Don't even let me get started on the daily washings of, of everyone's cookware. Yes, I saw that your rule book has 35 pages of instructions on how to do it. Well, Gershom, thanks a lot for telling us about this. I'd like to shake your hand, but I don't want to defile you. <laughs> Thank you very much, you two. That gives you a good picture of the Pharisees and the people, you know. I love how they brought out that there's this fence around the law, 35 pages of the most ridiculous things that they added to say, hey, we need to be so, so, so careful that we do not break the rules or the commands that God have given us that they introduced all these extra things, this sort of offence around the commands of God. And, you know, there are many things like that. Washing and ceremonial washing is one of them, and that's, that's what these Pharisees are trying to get to Jesus at. They ask him the question. They say, why don't your disciples 
live according to this tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands. And then Jesus replies, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it's written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, but their teachings are merely human rules. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. I want to lift up two things. That's where Georgia and Anika are going to help me out very soon. First thing that we see here, Jesus calls these Pharisees hypocrites. Hypocrites. The word hypocrite has its origin in, in the Greek language, and it was used of actors, actually, initially. So I have a fun exercise for you. Who can tell me who that is? It, does anyone believe that is Russell Crowe? It's Russell Crowe. <laughs> Russell Crowe uh, acting as Roger Ailes in The Loudest Voice. Um, Roger Ailes is the founder of the Fox News story and it chronicles his whole story. But that's a great example of what hypocrisy originally meant. It meant that someone would wear a mask in the theatre, in Greek theatres, and they would pose as something or someone who they're not. It was the art of deception. It was making yourself look like someone or something, but you truly are not that thing. And this is what Jesus is getting at with the Pharisees. He's calling them hypocrites. He's saying, you are trying to make yourself look like something that you're not. And here's how they did it. As an example, I'll do with this very quickly. Jesus says, this is what you do, you Pharisees. You do this whole thing that you call Corbin. How Corbin worked was like this. They were quite often very rich, the Pharisees, and they invented this law that you can take everything you own, your property, your cash, your all your assets, and many of them had, let's say, investment properties and all those sorts of things. And you can say, I give everything I own, all my property, all my fields, to God, in theory, a bit like a will. Once I die, all my stuff is going to go to the temple. It's going to go towards God. But for as long as I'm alive, I retain the use of those places, I retain the profits that it yields, I basically get rich of it. What would then happen is, let's presume that Georgia and Anika were relatives of mine. They became sick. They became poor. They had nowhere to live and they were out on the streets. And this happened very often in the ancient world. I, as a Pharisee, could, and most often they did, say, I've got no money to give you I've got no way to help you because I've devoted everything I have to God. It's better for me to give to God than to give to you who are sick and frail and struggling. <laughs> it was sick. It was downright sick what they did. And Jesus is saying, you know, <laughs> you hypocrites. You want to make it look like you're so holy and devoted and so committed to God by giving everything I have to God, and yet your, your very own parents quite often are dying and sick and struggling, and you do nothing for them. And they do many other things like that, Jesus said. This is what they did. Now, let's turn to us. I want to talk now to 
Anika first. Anika, can you tell us, this is what I asked Anika to do during the week, what ways do you think we do the same thing? What ways do we fake it and want to try and wear a mask and make others think something of us that we're not? Can you tell us, please? The definition of integrity is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. Some of the ways we don't live our Christian lives out with integrity is when we say we should put others before ourselves, but often we don't. And when there is something we want, we will often try to get it first. Another example is when we act nice to our friends around them, but when they're not around, we say mean things about them. Another thing Christians sometimes do without integrity is when we say we should put all our trust in the Lord, but then we choose to make our own decisions and work things out for ourselves and only look to God when we're in trouble. One last example is when we say to put God first, but we often put things like money and popularity over God. Mm. Thank you so much, Anika. Those are powerful examples. <laughs> Being kind to a person up front so they think you're kind to them and you're on their side and behind their back we gossip about them. <laughs> it's hypocrisy, the highest order. Wanting to look like we're godly and we love God, but really in secret we don't. It's, it's um, great ways in which we do this. Now, to take this one step further, I, I thought to get Georgia to tell us, you know, why, why are these things that Anika mentioned and other things, why is that an issue? Why, it is it, why is it a problem for the church if we live like that? What does it do in particular to other people who don't believe in Jesus? So, Georgia, your answer. I think it makes it hard for others to believe in God when we see when people see Christians being mean, judgmental, or unforgiving to others when Jesus is the Lord of love and forgiveness. And also being living greedy, selfish lives, trusting in position, possessions and power. Mum found this hard to explain to me, so she found an article to help me understand. Mm. It's written by a lady called Mary Fairchild. She writes during his earthly ministry, Jesus Christ levelled his harshest rebukes to the religious phonies. In ancient Israel, they were the Pharisees, a Jewish party not, uh, known not only for their hundreds of laws and rules, but their personal hardness of heart. Jesus called them hypocrites, a Greek word meaning stage actor or pretender. They were great at obeying the law, but had no love for people they influenced. In Matthew 23, he blasted them for their lack of authenticity. I think authenticity is the key word. People right. don't see Christians living out a life of Christ-likeness. For example, Mary explains, many big-name Christian leaders give Christianity a bad name. They talk about the humbleness of Jesus, why they live in mansions and fly around in private jets. Each of us has a lifetime of work to do, controlling our own tongue and behaviour, our pride, greed and fame. When we focus on that, we'll be less likely to commit the sin, the sin of Christian hypocrisy. Mm. hypocrisy. Mm. If, I think if we want people to believe God, we need to do what Jesus did. So people see and encounter him and his love, not be stage actors or pretenders like the Pharisees or those bound up in religion and tradition. Mm. Thank you so much, Georgia.
Friends, the truth is nothing or nothing, few things hurt the testimony and the witness of the church as much as hypocrisy. People have fine noses for hypocrisy. They know when you're not authentic. They can see it from a mile away. And I think Australian culture in general is extra good at it. (laughs) So if we want to really hold out the hope of the gospel, if we want to tell our friends about the goodness of Jesus, our lives have got to be in step with Jesus. (laughs) They will know. They will see. And it will always be a barrier to anyone who wants to believe in Jesus if we do not keep integrity, if we do not live authentic lives. And so that's a very important lesson, I think, that we already get. Thank you so much for your help and your uh, input. Really appreciate it. And I'm going to let you go and sit down because um, we've got a bit to go. All right, that's hypocrisy. Jesus warns us about hypocrisy. Second thing we get from what Jesus says to the Pharisees is this. Confusing God's commands with our traditions. This is where Jesus gets up them again. He says, you have let go of the commands of God and you are holding on to human traditions. All these extra things that you put around what God has said, they're human traditions. I have to really wrestle and think hard about what are human traditions that we put in place today, or at least the things that could potentially be human traditions that Jesus will speak to us about. And here's here's what I read uh, from Francis Chan. He puts it this way. He says he does this exercise with church leaders and he asks them, can you tell me what are the expectations that if people come to your church, what are they looking for? What would they like to see? What do you as church leaders think are important for yourself and for other people who come to your church, your members? He says usually, you know, we have things like that on the left. Well, we expect a good Sunday service. Strong age and gender-specific ministries, certain style, volume and length of singing, well-communicated sermon, parking, clean, warm building and toilets, uh, coffee, childcare, etc., etc. Then he asks them, can you list to me what are the commands of God? What are the things that God has commanded us to do as a church? And some of the things that come up are some of the things on the right. Love one another as I've loved you. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Make disciples of all nations. Bear one another's burdens. Then Francis Chan asks these church leaders, what would upset you or your church more if you didn't provide the things on the left or if you didn't provide the things on the right? which would be more upsetting to your church? (laughs) The question for us is, often we, we find it easier to measure ourselves and to report on 
measurable things that we're good at. You know, we, we, we like to talk about the numbers who attend ministries. We, we like to talk about how well our services run. Uh, we like to talk about goals we set and strategies for ministry. Um, and, and for some reason, it seems that we're sluggish to report often on the things that God has commanded. How many times have we shared the gospel with someone who did not know Jesus in the last year? When we report about ministry updates or things like that, how many instances can we report of how people in our church have shown incredible love to one another that is just baffling? How many encounters in prayer have we had when we reflected uh, in the Word and prayed and meditated? Don't get me wrong, Pathway, please. None of the things on this left-hand list is wrong. We need them, we have them, and I know that a fair chunk of stuff in the right-hand list happens in our church. I know it. I'm convinced of it and I'm certain. The challenge that I'm simply putting out, and I think that Jesus is putting out to us, is that we must never be so preoccupied with the things on the left-hand list that we forget about the things that God has actually commanded. (laughs) Everything on the left is a servant of what happens on the right. Let's never grab hold of human traditions and forget about the commands of God. Let our human traditions always serve the commands of God. That's the warning that Jesus puts out. All right, now let's move on. The Pharisees in the story seem to sort of move on, and Jesus now calls the crowd to himself. I'm not going to read all that word for word. I really want to read just the last little bit. In the end of the story, Jesus talks to his disciples, and he says this, What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Church, can I ask you this morning a tough question? Do you believe that you are fundamentally at heart a good person or a bad person? Very tough question. I want to illustrate it to us. Uh, well, Jai's going to illustrate it to us. So, Jai, do you want to come on up? And we've got a little illustration here, and then I'll get back to the question. Do you believe that you are fundamentally a good person or a bad person? All right, have we got it? 
It might be a little bit small in the back, but it's there. Everything that Jesus lists in this little verse is in this human heart. The truth is, as a starting point, the gospel tells us we're not good. The truth is that I as a person and you perhaps as a person are drawn. We're drawn to evil. We're drawn to what is not right. We're drawn to pornography and fantasies outside of marriage. We're drawn to putting our quest for money and wealth and possessions ahead of the wellness of others. We are by nature self-centred. We find it easy and helpful often to talk trash about others behind their backs. We love nursing a grudge against others. It doesn't mean that you are always going to be as bad as you possibly could be in terms of these things that Jesus has said, but it does mean that our inclination, our orientation, if you like, of our hearts is that we do not gravitate to the right things. Our hearts are the things that are not right with us, is what Jesus is saying. Now we get back to diagnosis. If you want to be the person who you want to be, <laughs> if you want to live the life who you want to live, certainly the life that God is calling you to live, the problem is our hearts. We can't live that life. Our hearts are not right. Hence, if that is the diagnosis, if that's what's wrong with us, what's the solution? Here's where the gospel comes in. Here's where it's at its most powerful. Here's God's promise. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. <laughs> you see, the Christian faith is not about behaviour. The Christian faith is not about regulating your moral actions. The Christian faith is about giving you a new heart. Taking that heart that is not right, replacing it with a new one. So my invitation for you this morning is the invitation of the gospel. If, if you are struggling morally, consider two things. If you've never asked God to give you a new heart, do it today. That's the starting point. Jesus is a, is a heart surgeon above all else, spiritually speaking. This is what he does. It's the most powerful, the greatest miracle that we can witness is, is what Jesus does to a human heart, changing it, renewing it. Ask him today for a new heart. That's the starting point. That's how you get out of the bad stuff in your life. Number two, you may have done this, but you still struggle. The truth is, it's not instant. Heart renewal is ongoing. It will probably never stop until we get to be with Jesus. Maybe today you're in a place and you know what you're struggling with. Whether it's an addiction, whether it's in a relationship you shouldn't be in, whether it's in the way that you treat your children or your spouse. Church, don't go draw fences around that behaviour. Don't go try and make that go away by the sheer power of your will. Do not rely on guilt. 
Do not rely on what you can do or what you think others you know, in self-help books can help you to do. No, go back to the heart surgeon. It's still a heart issue. Jesus, I need renewal again in this area of my life. That's how we fix problems. That's how God fixes problems. We do not treat symptoms. We go for the core. We go for the heart. Let me pray with you. Jesus, we thank you that you are not a God who wants to deal with our behaviour. We thank you that you're not on about traditions, fads, but that you desire to do a deep, deep work in us. Forgive us for the times where we try on our own. I pray for anyone here this morning whose life is struggling, whose life is perhaps a moral mess. Lord, I ask that you bring him or her today to you to ask for a new heart. I pray for each person you hear who's struggling with, with sin of whatever sort and trying desperately to fix it on their own. Jesus, will you bring us to you again? Let us come with our hearts as they are, broken, bad, prideful, hurting. Let us bring it to you. Lord, will you guard us from hypocrisy? Make us authentic, make us real. And Lord, will you give us wisdom and clarity to hold your commandments tight and hold our human traditions loosely, stirring us a great desire to live out the law in its spirit and, Father, not in its crossed T's and dotted I's. We ask for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, thank you, music team, I believe.